Yes, the creeping plague had come to Tal, and the greatest brains in all the galaxy were powerless to find a cure. It is hopeless. Nothing that lives can escape the plague. Even now, the visiscreen shows distant species, struck down in their prime, and each passing moment brings it closer, closer to Ta, while all we can do is watch and wait. And yet, it is not fitting that all must perish. Somehow, some way, the glory and the grandeur that our Ta must live, and live they shall, for destiny itself shall find a way. In the square below, the plague has traveled faster, even further than we feared. Already it has reached our heartland. Our efforts are useless with all of our skill. We can find no antidote. But even if there is no cure, there must be one, one living being whose body is immune, one who can survive, so that somewhere a vestige of Ta will live on. But no survivor could be found. And the carnage continued. Even in space, starships met their end as crews fell helpless at their controls. Not even the wondrous thought spheres could shield them from the plague. And then, where billions had dwelled in glory, only a handful remained. Welcome to Artifacts Infinity where we dive into the infinite abyss of Marvel's cosmic universe. I'm Jonathan Hudson. And I'm Everett Christensen. And this is episode 15, and we're back with more Thor. Today we'll be covering issues 167 through 169. Now, normally we wouldn't be covering an issue like 167, as it mostly focuses on Asgardian politics, and so far we've stayed away from mingling deity stuff with our cosmic stuff. But this is one of those absolutely crucial to framing the events of 168 and 169. For a little backstory here, Thor has just battled with him, later known as Adam Warlock, who attempted to steal away Sif, who was Thor's beloved at the time. This enraged the Golgen Avenger, who fell into a berserker battle frenzy, and in so doing, shamed himself and all of Asgard. We will discuss this particular thing in a future episode. Also, Sif is not a prize. Sif is a self-actualized warrior of Asgard. We're kicking off with Thor 167, This World Renounced. Written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inks by Vince Coletta, lettering by Artie Simic, with editing by Stan Lee, and cover art by John Romita Sr. On this cover... Loki stands above a prostrate Dr. Donald Blake, Thor's alter ego, holding the Doctor's walking stick. A shadow of Thor stands ghostly transparent over Blake, looking down on him in horror as we see the New York skyline clearly through the Phantom God of Thunder. We open on a splash page. We open on... We open on a splash page of Thor walking towards his judgment, as guardians line either side of his path with drums, marking this somber affair. Thor approaches the Presence, who accuses Odin's son of an unpardonable sin, being overcome by the warrior madness, fighting for base revenge and not for justice alone. 
Thor pleads guilty to the charge, and Odin passes his sentence. Powers such as thine may ne'er be used in wanton wrath. Where man may err, a god may not. Only through sacrifice canst thou be absolved of thy monumental guilt. And though Thor be truly heart of my heart, sacrifice shalt thou make. Sif immediately tries to interrupt, but Balder holds her back. Sif knows that Thor was fighting for her and is frustrated by her bow being accused for that. Balder is thinking a little longer term and notices that while Thor is serving penance, Earth will be unguarded. So he hops onto the nearest steed and heads to the Rainbow Bridge. Back in the throne room, Sif entreats Odin that she should share the burden as Thor's actions were spurned by her peril. Odin really wants to be merciful here, but he cannot give his son special treatment. He gives Thor a mission. Find Galactus. Back on the Rainbow Bridge, Heimdall bids Balder to hold out his blade and begin the Ritual of Space to transverse the realms and head to Midgard. Little does he know, however, that he is being sorcerously spied upon by Carnilla, Queen of the Norns, and Loki. Now, I'm not going to get too into this, but once again, out of the purview of our coverage, Carnilla is fabulous. She's a babe. The Queen of the Norns just oozes style, power, and confidence here, and while she got a good run in Mighty Thor back in 2012, and she had a really great role in War of the Realms most recently, I'm still going to say this character has been deeply underutilized since Volume 1 of Adjectiveless Thor. Now, Loki is interested in singling out his brother and stealing Mjolnir, so when Hag, Carnilla's minion, comes in with a Balder effigy ensorcelled like a voodoo doll, Loki leaps into action. He strikes at the back of the statue's head, and the Asgardian falls like a sack of potatoes before the mortals of Earth. Meanwhile, back in the fabled realm, Odin is hooking his boy up with a sweet ride to go chase the big G. Thor is still feeling down that he's been so shameful and craves to head to Earth once more. The All-Father considers it, but first he has to show Thor the features of the spaceship, including a device called Odin's Eye that, with but a thought, reveals secrets and sights of the universe undreamt of even by a god. Thor catches on that there is more to his quest than punishment for bad behavior. The Realm Eternal is at stake, and only Thor can save it. So Odin bids his son wait till the ship is finished, and in the meantime, sends him to Earth for what little time remains. Thinking about his time on Earth as Dr. Donald Blake, Thor flies through New York City, only to find Balder unconscious. It's up to the good doctor to save his friend through the power of medicine. However, as soon as Thor transforms, he's beset upon by Loki, who wrenches the magic cane that becomes Mjolnir from Dr. Blake. Unable to transform into Thor, Blake tries to attack Loki regardless and is simply getting bandied about by the evil god when a vision of Odin appears before his adopted son. Loki seeks to claim the hammer as his own, but Odin informs Loki that whomever holds the hammer must seek Galactus. Loki is shook at the concept and flees this awesome responsibility. We cut to Galactus eating a planet. It's an incredible splash page with Galactus wreathed in smoke as he consumes a living world. 
The Asgardians managed to pick this one up on Odin's eye, but no sooner had they locked on than Galactus is gone. We cut back to Donald Blake, who has successfully saved Baldur's life. The other doctors lavish him with praise. You know, every time this plot point comes up, I'm a bit conflicted. I definitely don't think of Thor as being one of the smarter characters, yet he clearly has this in his history. Do you think he held on to any of this brilliance when the Dr. Blake thing resolves itself later on? Well, as uh, I and a lot of others have said throughout the years, surgeons are the jocks of medical professionals, so frankly, it just seems really in character for Thor. That's fair. Anyway, with that done, Thor takes to the sky to begin his quest. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty with Thor number 168, Galactus Found. Written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inks by George Klein, lettering by Artie Simic, edited by Stan Lee, and with cover art by Jack Kirby. This cover is a bit strange to me. Thor stands against Galactus, swinging Mjolnir, but... gets to me is Galactus's pose. It's a lot more dynamic with movement than I'm used to seeing him depicted by Jack Kirby, and the inking style has really noticeably changed. Indeed. Right away with the opening splash page, we can see a serious change in the line weight and the use of blacks and the change over from Coletta to Klein, who is more inclined to do more hatching, contour, and cross-hatching instead of the heavy blacks. Overall, it's a more technical job on inks, but it does make faces and poses seem strangely kind of flat in places. So the search for Galactus is on as the Allfather bids the Odin ship depart. The scripting on Odin's farewell to his disgraced son is tone perfect for the Asgardian drama of it all. Thor launches off into the busy Kirby cosmos in his strangely jet bomber-looking ship, streaking past Earth, and Balder with it. On Earth, Balder is discharged from the hospital, and he is puzzled when he's told his friends are waiting for him. He turns the corner, and who is sticking him up at sword point but the Warriors Three? Boasting of their prowess and courage, they set out to right the wrongs of the world. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but the degree of Orientalism and the yellow scare racism in the B-plot of this issue is rough but it is also, luckily, not in the purview of this podcast. Instead, we'll be focusing on Thor, who is chilling on the Odin ship when it's suddenly stopped by an unknown structure. Thor explores this delightfully strange place, filled with Kirby contraptions and sci-fi set pieces. He is pulled as though being called to somewhere unknown. A voice bids him closer, and it is none other than Galactus. Thor attempts to enjoin battle, swinging Mjolnir, but Galactus has other plans. You strike in vain. My galactic barrier now stands between us. Did it not occur to you that I have awaited your coming? You now stand before me because it was my wish that I be found. Galactus is weary of the chase. Now there is much that must be said, much that I have thought upon. For lo, these untold ages. And now, to speed your understanding, I unleash a visit cloud, 
The mist shall penetrate the fibers of your body, the inner reaches of your brain. For you must see what I shall tell you, and what you see you must believe. And so you shall, and so you shall. Galactus uses mechanical telepathy to show Thor a vision of a Watcher ages ago when galaxies were still aborning witness to the crash of an interstellar vehicle. Upon investigation, it becomes obvious that the crew has all succumbed to plague. Thor thrashes in the mists of the Visahades. Galactus gives Thor a chance to be released from the vision if he will but cease the enmity between them. Thor agrees, and Galactus releases him, saying that he has only seen the start, and that the time has come to learn the why of Galactus. So wrapping up, we have Thor 169, The Awesome Answer. Written by Stan Lee, pencil by Jack Kirby, inks by George Klein, lettering by Artie Simic, edited by Stan Lee, with cover art by Jack Kirby, George Klein, John Romita Sr., and Mori Kuramoto. This cover is incredible and definitely stands out on its own. A collage of images make up the background as the silhouette of Galactus exists as a negative space that Thor is flying out of. This is one of those covers that you will have to see to believe, so go check it out in our visual companion. In this opening splash page, we have a perspective shot of Galactus speaking down to Thor, preparing him to hear the origin of the big G. Galactus looks more somber than normal due to the angle of the panel in the way that it obfuscates his eyes. He goes on to let Thor know that he was summoned, for Galactus is weary of avoiding people or fighting them. Thor asks where the mighty ship that had succumbed to plague came from, and what its relevance to the tale is. Galactus reveals that the ship contained one survivor, found by the Watcher. It is not the man Galactus used to be, but the entity he was becoming. Of course, this is all told in an incredibly rendered Kirby cosmic style, but I have to point out George Klein's work here. From issue 167 to 169, his use of the heavy blacks that are normally associated with Kirby artwork really increases. It seems that as an inker, he just adapted really quickly to the demands of the book, but the techniques that he additionally employs, the cross-hatching and contouring, they serve to really elevate this issue's art, and it is fantastic. I definitely agree. Now, just remembering these events causes Galactus to lash out in a rage, casually obliterating a mountain nearby. But even as the colossal figure seethes in anger, he lets Thor know that he rages, he strikes to forget the hunger. His heart is heavy, a great weariness lies upon him, for when the hunger's gone, all that's left are dreaded memories. Thor tries to get Galactus back on telling the story, and so he does, describing the incomprehensibly advanced planet of Ta, Galactus's homeworld, we're treated to a smorgasbord of wild imagery, people floating in spheres, incomprehensible beasts, and devices of science abound. It is so much. The scene settles on a figure in a spacesuit who has just returned from a tremendous journey. 
The people greeting him are eager to know of Ta's fate. Sadly, the figure removes his helmet and lets the somewhat Roman-looking people know that Ta is doomed and that nothing that lives can escape the plague, as shared in our opening. He's clearly a scientist, for even as he watches whole species struck down and the plague grow ever closer, this man never stops searching for a way forward for his people. So the citizens of Ta, ravaged by the plague though they were, took to the stars. But even in space, their starships failed. And with only a handful of people, barely enough for one crew, this nameless figure gathered the last of his people in a final futile gesture, plunged their ship into the largest sun in the universe. And while all of the other crew members died awash in radiation, one figure instead felt a new life force being born within. But that isn't all to the tale, for the Watcher was bound by oath to never interfere, and as such just studied and watched the nascent form of Galactus. It was inevitable, of course, that Galactus's power overwhelmed the Watcher's equipment. This sequence is astonishing. All the roiling Kirby crackles spilling out everywhere as devices are torn to shreds in the cataclysm. The Watcher gets one shot to destroy Galactus, and he doesn't take it. Instead, simply observing as the power returns to its ship and begins incubating and learning control until Galactus was fully formed. Thor is confused. He knows that Galactus means no harm, and that it's not with intention or malice that Galactus feeds. But still, whole planets have been devoured, so Thor feels like he must do something about it. Before the Titanic battle can begin, however, the All-Father Odin interrupts and teleports Thor back to where he's needed most, the Earth. So, I absolutely adore these books. This was a fantastic ride. And so much of it is based in the visual storytelling. You really gotta go check the visual companion for this one. It's breathtaking work. Yeah, I definitely agree. In fact, I when you hear Lee and Kirby discussed, so frequently it's cited that the Fantastic Four is their kind of magnum opus. And I get the inclination to go that route because so much world building and universe building for Marvel is done there. But the far over the top writing style of Lee, the family dynamic of the Fantastic Four requires a label of willpower to not read everyone as abusive and manipulative. They aren't being abusive or manipulative. At least that's not what's being sold as, but they definitely are. Meanwhile, in Thor, the Asgardians aesthetic plays so strongly into Kirby's strengths all the time. Lee's huge, bombastic, overzealous, hyperbolic, overwrought, phantasmagorical language works splendidly when blending with this Shakespearean-esque, flowery language of Asgard. And because it's royal intrigue and high, semi-Arthurian-esque drama, the high emotion isn't as startlingly abusive. I definitely think that Thor is their peak achievement. And I have to echo that sentiment very strongly. And I think the 
singular piece that encapsulates it to me the best is Odin's dialogue, specifically in the way that the scripting changes so dramatically from Odin in the times when he is speaking as a king against Odin in the times when he is speaking as a father. Because even though the language is still just thoroughly riffled with these and thous, you still can easily pick up off the page that this is a father with a lot of heart who also has his responsibilities to his kingdom and to Asgard and is trying to balance his expectations of the crown prince with his pride and love as a father. And that is a family piece that really does a lot more a lot of the times than, say, the relationship between Sue and Johnny, where they're siblings, but I don't feel like I got as much emotional baseline context from, you know, Sue and Johnny as I, as I do from Odin and uh, Thor. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's so much more heartfelt and real. Even even as, you know, we mentioned with the flowery language, it it chimes real in a way that as you said, you know, Sue and Johnny or or Reed and Sue or Reed and Ben as best friends, like none of that ever reads right compared to what we get here with you know odin and thor or the warriors three and thor these these best friends and chums till they die like it just it breathes so much more naturally and realistically or even thor and sif and their relationship in this particular era now of course i know it doesn't last but that means so much less compared to their in comic on panel chemistry in just the one issue where they have those moments together and in the stuff we're going to cover for the him episode soon where you really feel like these are two people who love each other you really get the feeling that thor cares for and respects Sif as a warrior, not just as a paramour, which is something that is oftentimes difficult to get in other comics of this yeah, era. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that definitely. a lot of those things are, are reasons why Thor reads so well today, and these are definitely some of my favorite comics. Now, on the topic of Galactus here... We're also seeing just an absolutely amazing job done, not of humanizing him, but rather gaining crucial context to there was once a man, and this man has now become, and how hard that weighs on Galactus, which brings critical context to the way in which he deals with Silver Surfer from this point on. Also, it does a lot of work 
to make clear that Galactus is less of a villain and more of a kind of a natural predator, like a wolf or something. He isn't evil because of what he does. He is what he is, and this will be built out more later, and it's crucial to understanding, you know, why doesn't Asgard just go to full-scale war with Galactus and obliterate him? Like We're starting to see the pieces of why. Why, why is it okay for you know reed richards to save galactus life later on like we'll see like this is building why this is doing a lot of the groundwork for galactus not as an evil entity but as a natural and vital and important entity that needs to exist which will build all the way into the modern day thor run now, the one thing that I find fascinating about reading these that is not explicit, but rather is a detail that will be expounded upon later, is that Galactus is from the universe before the birth of the 616. I expected to find that detail here, but it is never said, which is is really interesting when I think about how in modern times so much of the Galactus story, especially as far as Galactus relates to Franklin Richards, how important that particular detail is. Yeah, I agree. I expected to see that. And although I'm pretty confident that we see that soon, uh, we did not get that here in this. In this, I think this is the first telling of Galactus origin movie. Yes, this is the first time they ever went to explain how Galactus came to be. Now, in an interesting aside, there is actually a... Um, while I it didn't bring it up for the way in which this is collected, there is a retelling of the Galactus origin that puts basically the retcon of him being from a previous universe into this story. There are some very creative redraws and rescripting, uh, but I decided that there we really want to focus on this tale itself. And so, uh, if you want to look that up, it is its own Galactus trade paperback uh, that will not be mentioned in the collection. If you want to read the issues we've covered today, you can find them collected in Essential Thor Volume Four, Marvel Masterworks Thor Volume Eight. Epic Collections, Thor Volume 4, and The Mighty Thor Omnibus Volume 3. And you can always find them digitally on Marvel Unlimited or Comixology. Or ask your local library. They'd love to hear from you. Now, this is a very your-mileage-may-vary suggestion. But there are two Galactus stories that I haven't suggested yet that are really worth checking into if that's your kind of thing. So first up is Galactus the Devourer. Now, it's Louise Simonson and Bill Sienkiewicz. And you would think that Louise Simonson and Bill Sienkiewicz on a Galactus story, total no-brainer. And yet, there are some things about the construction of the story. For instance, it is a six-inch-shoe miniseries named Galactus the Devourer, and Galactus only has two lines in the first two comics, and they are both I Hunger. 
if that doesn't sound up your alley, uh, I definitely will understand it. But I have to say that I never knew that I wanted Bill Simkevich drawing Alicia Masters, but my goodness, it is so good. And Louise Simonson has some really great scripting on the Silver Surfer in this one, so it might be worthwhile just for those aspects, but I can't unilaterally suggest it because there are things about the story arc that didn't really read correctly to me going through. Uh, very specifically, there's some stuff with the Shi'ar and the Super Guardian known as Guardian that I think were not handled as well as they could have been. Then the second story is Darkseid versus Galactus, The Hunger. So this is, once again, you vary your mileage may vary because it was written by John Byrne, who I disagree with his personal politics, but from my pers personal perspective, this comic is excellent. Now, for this one, you're going to have to go find the physical trade paperback. It doesn't exist digitally that I know of, but during a time when DC and Marvel crossovers were a bit more common, this story rocked. Regardless of feelings about the creator, some of the dialogue between Darkseid and Galactus just oozes that flavor and gravitas that you really want to see of these two cosmic forces butting up against each other and it is a wild ride so once again if you can find it depending upon how you feel about the politics of creators versus their work this one might be for you you can reach us with questions or comics. At, uh, questions or comics. Send us comics. Yeah, send us comics. Please send us comics. <clears throat> you can reach us with questions or comments online at Artifacts of I on Twitter and at Artifacts of Infinity at gmail.com. If sacred places are spared the ravages of war, then make all places sacred. And if the holy people are to be kept harmless from war, then make all peoples holy. This has been Artifacts of Infinity. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Everett. And this was edited by Everett Christensen. We will see you in the infinite cosmos. Yeah.